0: Hello and welcome to Pontifax. I am Fry.
1: And I am Bree, ranking all of the popes from Peter to Francis. And this is episode 118, Pope
0: John the Ninth. The Ninth. So it's
1: time to get out the book,
0: Fry. Yeah, I got it. I picked it up when I came back to the desk. Beautiful. Okay, are you ready? I'm rolling yes. my d20. I've got have a, a one, bookmark in the spot. I'm good. A one and a six. Okay. One, six. We can't do that, but we can do it if we shift to this other one. Oh, do we
1: already have a one and a six?
0: We already have a salty dog.
1: Yeah. Ah, well, we do have a salty dog. Okay, let's reroll.
0: Reroll. Well I mean we could re-roll or we could use this other chart for ship names, which would make him a beautiful gem.
1: Oh, I love it. He's <laughs> you know, we we might feel that way about him, so he is now <laughs> a beautiful gem. I I love it. Yes. <laughs> Plus, then we don't get too repetitive. We don't have too many pirates. We have some ships and some pirates. Are we
0: making a judgment call on this already? (laughs) Well, you might be. I have no idea what's happening. (laughs) Well,
1: so now he will, and forevermore, be Pope Beautiful Gem. Let's see if he lives up to it. So, Pope John was born in Tivoli sometime around the year 840, and his father was called Rampoldo. a great name.
0: That is a good name.
1: Rampualdo. During the papacy of Formosus, he was ordained as a Benedictine priest and then as a cardinal deacon, although to which titular church is not said anywhere in any of the sources. This also means, though none of the sources directly comment on this, That John would have been one of those clerics whose ordinations were invalidated by the Cadaver Synod, because he'd been appointed by Formosus, and he may have been forced to resign by Pope Stephen VI in the aftermath, because, again, those orders had come from Pope Formosus. Although, he would have then been reinstated by the synod of our last pope, Theodore II. So... There's no actual commentary about this with John, but given that he was appointed by Formosus and this whole chaotic period has happened this way, he was probably in the job, out of the job, reinstated to the job, and it's as hectic as we have continued to see. Oh, man. I know. It's just, could you imagine just dealing with all of this? It's just starting to feel a little platina about it, so. It's not Easter. (laughs) Um, is it more dramatic than Easter at this point? We dug
0: up a dead body. (laughs) We did, but it's not going to last as long as Easter, right?
1: I don't make any promises on that. (laughs) (laughs) So beyond this, the only other thing that we know about John was that unlike his two latest predecessors, Romanus and Theodore, John was a Spolatin supporter and seems to have been in quite solid favor with the Duke of Spoleto-slash-Emperor Lambert. And so, when Theodore died after only 20 days as pope, John was the candidate put forward by the emperor to succeed him. But it wasn't as simple as that, because another candidate, Sergius, the former bishop of Cherveteri, was also put forward and elected. By whom? Well, this is the piece that gets confusing because we've had these two factions. We've had the Arnulf faction, the Imperial faction, and then we've had the Spalatin faction with Lambert. The weird thing here is that Sergius is also of the Spoleto faction, like John, but it looks like the difference is that he didn't have the direct backing of Lambert himself the way that John did. So these are his people that are electing a different guy instead, even though the emperor wants John.
0: Okay.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they're, they're basically splintering here within the party, and some sources even suggest that Sergius had the majority vote. But even if he did, the pressure and influence of Lambert secured the papal throne for John, and Sergius and his supporters were driven from the city, even though they're on the same side, and subsequently excommunicated in John's first synod. Huh. Right. So, now, normally, we would call this an anti-pope situation, right? It, it technically is an anti-pope situation. We have two popes that have been elected, and one of them's been driven out from the city. Two popes elected in rivalry. But in this case, we're not going to do that. For two reasons. One, it would be very hard to determine at this point who actually is the anti-pope between these two guys.
0: One of them's in Rome and one of them is not.
1: Yes, but one of them had the majority election and the other one was put in by the emperor. So again, legitimacy. But the most important reason we're not going to cover this as an anti-papacy situation is that they both end up as pope. So we will be coming back to Sergius III in time. And, rest assured, being an almost anti-pope is not even close to the only thing in his fructus prohibitum box.
0: Oh my god. (laughs) Who did they elect? This man?
1: (laughs) Oh man. Oh man. The Sergii. They never do very well, do they? But for now, John gets to be pope. It's his turn first. King Lambert said I could play with the ball first. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what happened. (laughs) And then they drove out half of their supporters and excommunicated them. Like, it's just not very smart. None of this is working out very brilliantly. And so, as you imagine, this is a pretty chaotic start to John's papacy. And looking down the now long stretch of popes that have either died violently or suspiciously, John realizes that if he doesn't want to go the same way he's going to have to do something to bring all of this violence and factionalism to an end. And the only way to do that was to suppress the factionalism not only over the emperors, but also over this Pope Formosus and Stephen VI situation. We have to actually keep coming back to this, so we need to deal with it on the political level as well as within the church. And not only that, there has to be a definitive consensus on the issues so that future popes didn't continue to repeatedly undo one another. So John decides he's going to hold three synods throughout the papal states. At least one was in Rome and one was in Ravenna. We don't know where the third one was. It's just said the third synod. Hoping that he would spread a clear and concise message. At these synods, John decreed that the judgments of Pope Theodore II were confirmed, including the restoration and reburial of Formosus, and the burning of any surviving record of Stephen VI's condemnations, but it also denounced any negative action against those who had been present at the Cadaver Synod. Right? They they were not necessarily there of their own free will, and they have experienced quite a lot of reprisal for their position there. So basically they're saying, look, we've now rehabilitated Formosus, he's buried, we've now undone what Stephen did, it's over, but we're not going to come for anybody who was on either side of this issue. And most importantly, he banned posthumous trials. Period.
0: No more digging people up like that.
1: Yeah. This is one of those situations where it's like, I can't believe we have to have a regulation for this, but you cannot put someone on trial if they are dead.
0: I can't believe we have to write this down.
1: (laughs) Exactly. But But it has now been written down. It is now a rule. (laughs) (laughs) So there's that. He also decreed that any cleric who had been ordained by Formosus and then deposed by Stephen did not need to be reordained. Their original ordination was as valid as it ever was. They're just to be reinstated without delay or hesitation. We don't need to make this any more complicated than it already is. You don't have to get new orders to do the same job you were already doing.
0: Sorry about the layoffs. Please come back. (laughs) Exactly. And he's one of
1: these guys, right? So he's like, I don't want to have to go and get ordained again. I'm Pope now. Let's just be done with it. Now, equally important, John issued an unequivocal condemnation of factional violence and the plundering of churches or clerical palaces after a pope or bishop's death. Now, this is not the first time that we've seen this come up as an issue, and given the chaos of the current circumstance, it's no surprise that it's suddenly back on the rise. I
0: can't believe I have to say this. Stop robbing <laughs> things.
1: Yeah, we don't need to plunder the Lateran every time a pope dies. This is not a good strategy. Stop it. They're dying every 20 days right now. What do you think is going to happen?
0: There's nothing here.
1: (laughs) Exactly. He also declared that preventing these crimes was the responsibility of both the church and the secular authorities, up to and including the emperor, and is said to have declared to Emperor Lambert, quote, If the violence is not righted, both you and I shall have a strict account to give to the Supreme Judge. So He's like, you need to get on top of this as well. Now, if we're to take the word of Bartolomeo Platina, who, remember, is so over reviving these factional issues, this was not well received in Rome, which is why he moved on to a second synod in Ravenna. Platina says... He immediately reasserted the cause of Formosus, the great part of the people of Rome being against it, who raised such a tumult that it wanted little of a battle. He therefore removed to Ravenna, where, calling a synod of 74 bishops, he damned all that Stephen had done, and restored the decrees of Formosus, declaring it irregularly done of Stephen to reordain all of those on whom Formosus had conferred holy orders.
0: What type of dogs are these? (laughs)
1: <laughs> these popes, by their constant inobservance of all apostolic practices, were the occasions, in my opinion, of these turmoils, especially joining with that the cowardice and negligence of the princes of Christendom, whose interest it was that the ship of St. Peter should labor with tempests, that so the master, being unable to amadvert upon them, might throw them like naughty mariners overboard.
0: Oh no, they're pirates. <laughs> naughty mariners. <laughs> pirates
1: on 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 pope beautiful (laughs) jim but it should be said that platina is the only one who seems to make this argument like none of the other sources assign this motive to john's moving of councils and seem to suggest that he's holding synods in various places to spread a consistent message. Not just because Rome is now mad to have to deal with the Formosus issue again. They've never stopped dealing with it. But like we said before, this was not just to resolve the war of the two dead popes, but also to calm the parties of the emperors. And so these synods also issued decrees on that front. First, John affirmed the terms of the Constitutio, which required imperial presence at papal consecration, in exchange for the emperor protecting and defending the rights and property of the church, and to actively participate in the quelling of the violence that had clearly become pretty ubiquitous throughout Italy because of them. Now, as to which emperor John was clearly directing his adherence to, we're talking about Lambert of Spoleto, Right, because at this point we have two feuding emperors. He's decided that Lambert's his guy. He has Lambert attend the Second Synod of Ravenna in person. Remember, Arnulf still hadn't returned to Italy and was still paralyzed. And Lambert was close enough to attend synods. And he's responsible for putting John on the papal throne in the first place. So this was clearly an alliance that John wanted to foster. And so, at the same synod in Ravenna, after making his canonical decrees and decreeing that the Constitutio was valid, John publicly confirmed Lambert's right to the imperial title and invalidated Arnulf. Oh. But then, (laughs) yeah, he's just like, look, it's all clear. Arnulf's not coming back. He's, He's incapacitated. This is our guy. This is our emperor. Deal with it. But then, quite unfortunately for Pope John, Lambert of Spoleto died. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Rather unexpectedly in December of 898, either having fallen from his horse while hunting in Marengo, or he was assassinated. That's two different things. (laughs) Well, assassination and hunting accidents often
0: go quite hand in hand. Hunting accidents, yeah. 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 Oh, he I'm fell sure from there's his a, horse. A George R. R. Martin line about that somewhere. There has
1: to be. Look, he fell from his horse. Did he have um, an arrow in him before? Oh, no. I don't know. Could have just fallen right on top of it. And while this whole situation about Lambert dying isn't going to have an impact on the rest of this episode, we need to cover a little conflict surrounding Lambert and his death because it's going to become immediately relevant in our next episode. So way back when, when we discussed the deposition of Lambert's father, Guy of Spoleto, during Formosus's papacy, we also mentioned Guy's biggest rival in Italy- Berengar, the Duke of Friuli. I'm sure we did, whenever (laughs) that happened. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this guy, this guy. So back then, we talked about how he had broken a truce with Guy and allied himself with Arnulf and Arnulf's son, Zwentibold, to overthrow Guy. And during this alliance, Berengar had been appointed as Arnulf's vassal in Italy. But between then and about 896. Berengar and Arnold had potentially had some kind of falling out. We don't know why, the cause is somewhat irrelevant, but what had come out of it was that Berengar and Lambert had come to their own agreement again, which divided control of Italy between them. Berengar got territory between the Adda and the Po River, Lambert got the rest, and they shared Bergamo, which maintained both imperial challengers without them having to actually just Continually fight one another. Lambert also pledged to marry Berengar's daughter at that time. However, this was relatively short lived, and in October of 898, Berengar advanced on Pavia, bolstered by a new ally, Adalbert of Tuscany, intending to depose Lambert and assume total control of Italy. This led to the Battle of Marengo, which Lambert actually won and took Berengar as his prisoner. But this is also right at the point where Lambert dies while out hunting. So this is why some people think it's an assassination. Because he just won a war and taken the other guy hostage. So there's that. So there's a man in the dungeons. There's a man in the dungeons, but then Lambert dies. And that man gets out of the dungeons. And within days of Lambert's death, Berengar had taken Pavia and secured Italy as sole ruler.
0: It's like, oh... I see this place is just empty for me. (laughs) Yeah, me? For me, exactly. And
1: also within a year of this moment, Emperor Arnulf is also going to die. So he's going to become out of the picture as well. So we're just going to have to deal with sole ruler Berengar. And as a side note, I love, love, love Leoprand of Cremona's telling here. Where all he says about what happens here is, quote, King Berengar obtained the kingdom in a manly way.
0: <laughs> this is mine. <laughs> for me. <laughs> He's very,
1: very manly.
0: So manly. <laughs> <laughs> he, like, swaggered up. He did.
1: <laughs> for me. I am, I am an Italian man. I do what I want. But this is where we're going to leave it for now. Because Lambert's out of the picture, Berengar is in charge of Italy, Arnulf's in Germany, and the Pope is probably cringing a little bit for having pledged such strong loyalty to a man who is now
0: surprise dead. It's
1: not great for him.
0: But, like, he didn't say anything about Berengard. He could go to Berengard. He just told Arnulf no.
1: Yeah, this, this is true. He could go to Berengard.
0: But before
1: he does any of that... He has to contend with the Church of Moravia. Now, we haven't dealt with the Slavs in Moravia since the situation with St. Methodius and the Slavonic liturgy, but in 899, Pope John received an appeal from Majmir, the King of Moravia, I'm going to botch that pronunciation no matter how I do it, so we're going with Majmir, that proves that the same conflicts that had gotten Methodius in trouble were still an issue in Moravia. Namely, that the German bishops still maintained oversight of the Moravian church and had prevented the Slavs from having an independent administration of their own. At the same time, John also received letters from the German bishops in question, arguing against granting the Moravians an independent church hierarchy, as that would infringe on their traditional jurisdiction. So John dispatched three papal legates to Moravia to investigate, and with his permission, they consecrated a new metropolitan bishop for Moravia and three new bishops, which finally gave Moravia its own hierarchy and pushed the Germans out. Unfortunately, for reasons beyond the scope of this papacy, that was not going to last very long. And neither is John, because then John IX Hope Beautiful Gem died in January of 900 with no specific date listed and no specific cause listed.
0: Oh, okay.
1: <laughs> Wendy J. Reardon suggests he might have died of gout, but she also suggests that he might have been murdered on the orders of a powerful figure in Rome called Theodora Theophylact, but this would have been just a little too early for the Theophylact interaction with the papacy.
0: Not by much. Uh, Why has everyone got gout, though?
1: Well, it's the way that they were eating. Just everything is very, very high. I have
0: a vegetable.
1: They live in Rome. It's not as if they have tons of farmland that isn't constantly being flooded by the Tiber, so.
0: Okay. They could eat some olives. (laughs) Aren't olives quite high in uric acid? Probably. (laughs) Lose-lose. Lose-lose. Eat some
1: fish. I don't know. And I mean, none of this may matter because he could have been murdered. Could have been murdered. Yeah, by gout. Well, by Theodora. But mm-hmm. it's a little—it's a little too early for Theodora. I mean, she is coming. We are very close to that pornocracy period. But it's just early enough to to cast some doubt on the idea that she would have been involved in this particular murder. Later murders, we'll talk about those separately. <laughs> Yeah, okay. So, slightly too early for her. But Mm -hmm. maybe murdered. Because, I mean, everyone is being murdered this time. But also maybe gout. So, we don't know. He just
0: died. What if someone gave him gout by slowly feeding him (laughs) things? I mean...
1: Knowing what we've covered about gout and how incredibly painful it was for people at this time and how we've had several popes who couldn't even feed themselves because of the gout, that would be a particularly malicious assassin.
0: (laughs) Just, yeah, feed them until they get, like, I don't know. I feel like if I started getting gouty, I would be like, man, I need to eat something new. (laughs) You would think, but- so John was buried in the portico or
1: nave of St. Peter's and his tomb was destroyed for a new St. Peter's and Ridley's very mad about it.
0: <laughs> so mad. So mad that everybody still, I uh, can't wait till we get to that dude so we can <laughs> pot him off a cliff. <laughs> uh, no points for you. <laughs> oh, he's going to
1: get points. It just won't be in any good categories.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no good points for you.
1: Yeah, Julius has a lot of stuff going on. But at least his epitaph survives. So, quote, Here lies a good model for the church, a most brilliant jewel of goodness and lord of the world, the extraordinary John the Ninth, who shone by his merits among the apostolic men whom the Almighty drew up and taught the doctrine of salvation in three councils, giving gifts to God for the observance of the sacred rites. In his days... Wicked novelty was abolished, and the faith of the fathers established was strengthened. Reader, you who are bound to die, say, Pope John, with the saints, may you reach the blessed kingdom of God. Pretty nice epitaph. <laughs> the most brilliant jewel of goodness, lord of the world, extraordinary. It's pretty good. But that is Pope Beautiful Gem.
0: And now it's time to rate him. Papatum.
1: So we're going to start with a quote from Platina. Quote, John died after he had been pope two years and fifteen days, leaving behind nothing of worthy notice, but that he renewed some old quarrels which had been almost forgotten. This seems like total bull****. (coughs) Considering how the last few papacies have gone, I would say that not a single person had forgotten the quarrels between Arnulf and Lambert, or Formosus and Stephen VI. No one had almost forgotten them. He's just really, really mad. So let's talk about what he actually did do. First, we have the Synods, right? He's spreading a consistent message to put an end to the conflicts. He officially rehabilitated Formosus and tried to make this the bottom line final decision so that people would stop. He wanted to ensure that the popes stopped undoing the work and decrees of their predecessors. He also wanted to protect those who had participated in the Cadaver Synod from further reprisals. He banned posthumous trials. He prevented reordinations, which would have led to the devaluation or loss of prestige for ordinations themselves. He granted the Moravian Church their own independent hierarchy. And the only thing that really works against him in this category is that he's only elected under the meddling of Emperor Lambert. But I don't even know if we can hold that against him at this time period because things are so chaotic. What do you want to give him?
0: Okay. Um can we give him like a four? A four? Okay. Okay. I don't want to be mean. (laughs) It's a little low. He did some stuff.
1: He did do some stuff. He's getting a full point from me specifically for banning posthumous trials. Because it's, I can't believe we have to write this down, but clearly someone had to write it down. And he's the guy who did that. He also is really, really trying to bring the church into harmony and sort of rebuild their reputation more than any other pope has had a chance to do since the Cadaver Synod. So I think I'm going to give him like a six. I don't want to go higher than that because, again, he's not being elected properly as pope. But I think a six is fair, which gives him a ten in Papatum and Falium, which is exactly what Romanus and Theodore before him have gotten.
0: We're on a streak of tens. Fructus prohibits him.
1: Now, in this category, we have to consider that he may not have had the votes as pope, and in any other circumstances, we might be considering him an anti-pope or an illegitimate pope. And the only reason we're not is because it works out for everybody anyways. Okay. So there might be a point or two here.
0: Mm. Yeah,
1: give him like one. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I can't blame him for the imperial influence as much as I normally would. But it's still pretty scandalous. I will give him a one as well, and he'll get a two for fructus prohibitum.
0: Seculari impactum. Now here,
1: (laughs) it's another tricky category, because he attempted to bring the political factions to an end, again, not only within the church, but also within the imperial factions. And he tried to bring the emperor to account and hold them responsible for helping dispel the violence this is good and in theory him solidifying his alliance with Lambert of Spoleto the guy who was close and was actually going to be able to protect the church would be a good thing however Lambert is stepping in and meddling with the elections and then he dies suddenly so none of that stability actually manifests into anything
0: so how do we want to score that? um oh. oh I don't know Maybe, I don't know, maybe we can give him, like, a two? Like, it's not his fault the guy died. He had set it all up.
1: I'm hovering between a two and a three. As much as we don't want to give points for anything that's hypothetical, because that's always a very dangerous slope, there is something to be said for how well this would have gone if Lambert hadn't died. So... Yeah, it's like a two or a three. So if you're going to give him a two, I will match your two and he will get a four for seculari
0: impactum. Fossium Sanctus. Now is the
1: time for us to determine whether this man is a beautiful gem. Yes. Are you ready? I'm going to send you two versions of the same St. Paul's outside the walls round because there's one that's much clearer but clearly has been doctored. And one that's a little blurry, but is a little bit bigger. So oh. this is our beautiful gem. He looks extremely grumpy. He looks very grumpy. grumpy. He
0: has a big mole. Does he have a big mole? Oh
1: my gosh, he does. Yes. You know that mole must have been so big for <laughs> yes. them to put it on your official portrait. And it wasn't even painted in his own time. So can you imagine if he didn't actually have a mole, but this is how he's <laughs> oh been <my> immortalized? Gosh. <laughs> Um That's so rude. <laughs> I can't believe we have to write this down, but don't paint
0: holes on people who don't have them. <laughs> oh, He's so grumpy. Gosh, I'll give him like a four. He's very grumpy. He does have a good. You think he's? Good full do you think he's beautiful? No, I wouldn't call him a beautiful gem, but he sure is a gem.
1: What's the roughest, coarsest gem? That's <laughs> I don't <really> know. grumpy? <laughs> a four is good. I feel like his portrait. Perfectly encapsulates the moment that he had to say, let's not allow trials for dead people.
0: (laughs) Let's not dig people up and put them on trial, please.
1: I can't believe I have to say this. And that's that is that image right there. So, yeah, I'm going to give it like a two. There's just nothing, nothing great in there for me, which gives him a six overall, resulting in a score of 1.5 in this category. Here is the bad artist
0: colorized. Oh. Make it go back to black and white, please.
1: I know, right? It's it's very corpsey. It's not good. I'm glad we're not rating on this one.
0: <laughs> he doesn't even have a mole. Yeah, he doesn't have the mole. So, we'll never know. tempest pontificus.
1: January 898 to January 900. And with that, we're in the 10th century. Can you believe it? No, it's been a long time coming. It is. But that's a papacy of exactly two years and a score of
0: 0.5. All right, everybody, it's the canon bonus round. Do, 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 do. No. Nope.
1: This is not a terrible surprise, although he would be fun to give a patron sainthood to, for sure. So that brings us to his total score, which is a very round and even. 18.
0: That's not bad. A round number. We never have those. I know. It's just a solid 18. That feels wrong. <laughs> well, the last time
1: that we had a solid number was episode 112, Stephen V with 33. And before that, it was Benedict third, episode 106 with 16. So it happens. It's just weird to see. And I think that that is a perfectly reasonable score for where he is. He's done better than both Romanus and Theodore, who had no time at all. And he has less points than Stephen VI, who gets all of his points from Scandal. So it seems about right. But that brings us to the point where I need to ask you a very important question, Fry. Do you think he's papally enough and pizzazzy enough? A beautiful gem enough with an impact enough for a papal bull? I'm sorry, I can't give it to him. Nah, nah, there's not much there. He just is not, he doesn't have quite long enough, he doesn't associate with the right person, and he's just trying to put old quarrels to rest, and it doesn't really manifest for him. So, sorry, John. Sorry, beautiful gem. it's, It's not happening. And that brings us to the end of our episode, but before we go, we have a couple thank yous to make. So first, we have some patrons to absolve of their temporal punishments. So thank you to Adriana Lippi, Tyler Williams, and Brandon Johnson. Ego te absolvo. So that brings us to the end. We can say thank you for listening and goodbye. Bye. Pontifax is edited by Greg Gassman. You can find his show, Popular History, on all major podcatching platforms. And keep an eye out for his new show, Arexipod Ranking Cardinals, Cardinal Numbers. You can also reach Greg at popularhistory at gmail.com. Get it? It's popular, but with an E for the popes.
0: If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach us at pontifaxpod at gmail.com. And we're PontifaxPod on all social media platforms. If you'd like to support the show, consider subscribing to Pontifax on Patreon. Checking out our research wishlist at tinyurl.com slash pontifax wishlist, or making a one-time donation at paypal.me slash pontifax podcast. If you'd like to support us in other ways, rating and reviewing the show on iTunes makes a world of difference.